Hello and welcome to Highland and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Welcome to episode 66. Today we're pleased to welcome to the show Catherine Van Meter, the inaugural recipient of the Heilman and Haver 2021-22 Best Choreography Award for Beauty and the Beast at the Fifth Avenue Theater. A champion of large-scale community theatrical adventures, Catherine choreographed As You Like It for Seattle Repertory Theater's Public Works Program and directed and choreographed Matilda at Village Theater, where she worked with Star 101.5 to generate the Matilda Movement, a program honoring local youth making a difference in their community. Catherine also served as the Interim Artistic Director of Seattle Children's Theater, where she created Ghost Light Stories, a weekly web series of ghost stories designed to help children process fear and anxiety around COVID-19, and produced and directed So Many Heroes, a national song of thanks, with 75 youth from 16 cities across America. Catherine's work as a teaching artist has taken her around the world, from Iowa to South Africa and Siberia. As an activist artist, Catherine worked with artists striving to end poverty to develop One World Through Theater, a generative theatrical conversation between students in South Africa, North Carolina, and Washington. Catherine was the series choreographer for the Netflix original series 13 Reasons Why and Crater, an upcoming feature for Disney+. And she recently made her debut as intimacy coordinator for the Netflix original series Echoes, which spent two weeks at number one worldwide. In 2016, she worked with the U.S. Department of Labor to develop the national definition for the occupation of choreographer. She's a five-time nominee and two-time Gregory Award winner for choreography and was the 2018 People's Choice winner for directing an outstanding performance as a lead actor. Catherine holds a B.A. in theater and a minor in dance from the College of William and Mary. She served on the National Board of Governors for AGMA, the Seattle Liaison Committee for Actors' Equity, and was the chair of the Seattle Steering Committee for the Society of Directors and Choreographers. She joins us from her home in Seattle. In Atlanta, Georgia. So I, I moved from Oakland, California to a suburb of Atlanta between sophomore and junior year of high school. Georgia has this incredible program called the Georgia Governor's Honors Program. And you have the opportunity to either audition or interview on your on your school, your county, and your state level to spend six weeks at a college studying something you could potentially major in 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 college. So I auditioned to go as a theater major and I got in. And so I spent six weeks between my junior and senior year of high school with students from all over the state of Georgia studying theater in this amazing sort of pressure cooker capacity. And one of the things we did was um, an original devised piece, which was like mind blowing as a creation process to me. And I fell in love with it. And I came back from that summer and and um, much to my parents chagrin at the time said, hey, I think I found the thing I, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And at that point, I I had really I'd really loved school and lots of different subjects in school. Um, I was like, maybe going to go to Georgia Tech and be some sort of engineer or maybe go to a different kind of school and be some sort of lawyer. And then I found theater and I I just, I knew that it was something that I could learn for the rest of my life and, and like maybe never master. That it would continue to challenge me. And yeah, so then I went I went to the College of William & Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I have a Bachelor of Arts in Theater and I think that has a, a huge factor in the breadth of the kind of career that I've had. 
that Bachelor of Arts and the sort of liberal arts degree. And by the time I graduated from college, I had I had directed musicals and choreographed musicals and and hung lights and worked backstage and um, acted in plays and acted in musicals and worked in the box office. And I, I really was able to sink my teeth into every aspect of theater um, and learned that I wanted to be involved in as many different as aspects as I could be. So, yeah, that's a short, that's a little... <laughs> That's a flyover. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it sounds like you got, like you said, a, a ton of experience uh, organically or, or deliberately through your, your college career. Now, as a professional, you've done so many things, as you alluded to. Was the move into the production aspects of theater professionally a more organic thing? Or was it one of those, hey, we need somebody to do this, and, and you had experience, so you stepped in? Uh, did, you, did you spend a significant amount of time as an actor and and dancer and then move into production or was it something that happened right away it happened um it happened right away in college because i had such a strong dance background and i wasn't in a bfa program even though i was a freshman in college i um guys and dolls was the first semester fall like fall show first semester and I did that show. And then pretty immediately, there was a student produced company on stage that was doing a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And they just saw that I was a really great dancer. And they said, hey, this is a student produced thing. Do, have you ever choreographed a musical? Do you, do you want to? And I said, I have never choreographed a musical. And sure. <laughs> and, then, and then I choreographed a musical every year I was in college, you know, and Joseph is like, as you know, sung through. So you don't. The dancing doesn't stop in that. There's no breaks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, so, huh? So it's a big one. It's a big one to start with. But, you know, I'd certainly made up dances. I'd made up dances before, but I hadn't necessarily made up dances that had stories attached to them. And then I, I, have, I have always been a leader. So I think that the transition from choreographer into director or director choreographer, that, that happened... That happened mindfully in that I had to work really hard to make that transition. And I think it was a natural progression um, from what I was doing in rooms anyway. Does, it, does the experience in dancing just lead you to be able to create dances and, and routines and things like that? Is it just because you do it so much that it becomes uh, part of your second nature, part of a language that you speak almost? I think a little bit. And I also think, though, that like not every actor could be a director and not every dancer could be a choreographer. I think you have to have some of a version of being able to go on that, go external and see the whole picture. But certainly with the amount of dance that I did in my life and the and the variety of styles of, of dance that I did in my life. And I remember there was a moment when um <laughs> You know, I don't know. You know, when you're young, you don't really think about the fact that your brain doesn't. I just sort of thought that everybody's brains did the same thing, you know, because no one really told me that other brains were different than my brains. So I didn't realize that other people didn't just make up dances when they heard songs like my brain just sort of makes up it. It just it just generates dance. <laughs> yeah, second nature. Yeah. Yeah. And it. Uh, and the, Yeah. Yeah. And at some point along the I, along the way, I learned that not that not everyone says that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been choreographing something and realized it's 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 a dance move that you made up, you know, in your bedroom back as as that six year old? I have 
haven't had that precise moment. I did have a moment um, in college. I I saw an Alvin Ailey concert, and oh my gosh, I am I am blanking on this piece. It is one of their most famous dances, and it begins with an R. And I saw that piece, and I loved it. I really, really loved it. And then I saw it again, probably twenty years later, and I was like. <laughs> That has influenced everything I have ever made. <laughs> Could be like reflections? No, Re revelations. That's the revelations. Oh, that was hard. Revelations. But I also think that there are pieces of that style, right? That sort of again, that like big, big, bold '80s, athletic, big gestural that I that I had when I was six, seven. 12, 13, that is, that is, <laughs> that is definitely still part of my aesthetic today, for sure. <laughs> well, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I saw my first official ballet last year, and I, I promised myself after COVID, I would never say no to anything again. And that was one of the things I might have, uh, I'll pass in the, in the past. Yeah. And then I said, no, I'm going. And I loved it. And that was the first thing that came to mind was the athleticism, just staggering athleticism of, and this was, it was a version of the, um, of the Nutcracker that our good friend Scott Breitbarth up on Bainbridge at Bainbridge Ballet put on. And uh, and he co uh, choreographed uh, a portion of as well. And, you know, eight, again, ages from, you know, three, four, five, six, all the way up to semi-pros, uh, adults. And <laughs> it was, it was little ones were adorable, of course. Um, but yeah, the, the athleticism that you don't think about until you're sitting there live. And I'm sure that's, it was, was there a specific sport? Uh, sounds like you were into, you said volleyball and basketball. Was there something that you, that you spent time doing that you think translated the best into into a dance career as far as the athletics go? I don't know that there is a specific kind of athleticism that that shifted from from team sports into my dancing career, but the team sports and learning to play as a team um, absolutely translated to my theater career and how I approach creating theater and being a part of theater, 100%. I think that you can see a difference in artists who have some experience as a team versus artists who who um, potentially <laughs> view theater as a solo sport as opposed right. to a team sport. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Our, our friend Dan Estes, who was also an award winner, a uh, multi-award winner uh, for last season, he gave us, myself, that same speech. We're doing a little play called The Post Show down in Port Orchard. And he got everybody together and said, you know, the greatest thing about this is that it's a team sport where you're not competing against each other. Yep. You're all on the same team. And the audience is also not rooting for you to fail. They're rooting for you to succeed. Everybody yep. wants everybody to succeed. And I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way. And I could tell that it also spoke to a lot of the, especially the younger folks on our cast. And I just really appreciated that parallel. Well, there's something that can be achieved about what you can achieve when everyone is pointing at the same thing and that thing is bigger than themselves. Yeah, making we're all making the same movie, as Sidney Lumet liked to say. Yep, yep. And we can't do it individually. We, we have to be together. Yeah. Well, speaking of success, you first came to our attention last year with uh, the Fifth Avenue Theater's production of Beauty and the Beast, uh, for which you were the choreographer, which I will say, having seen... Beauty and the Beast on Broadway with the original cast. This was the f the closest to that, and actually, in some ways, surpassed it as far as a version that I've seen uh, of the show. First of all, was this your first experience with the Fifth Avenue Theater, and how did you get involved with Beauty and the Beast? 
It was not my first experience with the Fifth Avenue. When I moved to Seattle, <clears throat> my first season in town happened to be David Armstrong, the previous producing artistic director, his first season in town. And my uh, between 2000 and 2004, I actually performed quite a lot in shows there and choreographed a production of Wizard of Oz, I think in 2002. And then a production of the Buddy Holly story in let's say 2007. <laughs> uh, but it, it had been my first time working there in a while. Um, Bill Berry and I had, you know, sort of beautiful quarterly coffees for the last several years trying to find like, ooh, is it this project? Is it this project? Trying to find a, a project for me to get back on, uh, get back to the theater in. And um, Jay Woods, who directed Beauty and the Beast, she and I had a, a relationship from the last several years um, of admiring each other's work and sort of seeing things that each other had done and and had a working relationship that way. And he hired her to direct Beauty and the Beast. And then they asked me to come on board as choreographer. Well, one of the challenges for a show like that must be finding something fresh. It's so well known. It's so well loved. Uh, the Broadway version, the Disney film version, um, the original story itself. So yeah. how, how did you go about doing that? What kind of research did you do? And, uh, you know, what's your process for taking a, a, a much-loved uh, show like that and, and making it your own? I try to find a balance between where, where research can be helpful and then not ever letting it be harmful. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it can do both things. Certainly with something that feels like a big giant classic, like a Beauty and the Beast, I did a production of Mary Poppins a while ago that was the same sort of, and that, and that, the, the dance of that is just, I mean, it's just classic, right? It's iconic, right? Yeah. Iconic. So, so there's the, okay, what do I, what do I do? How can I, how can I find a balance between honoring what has come before, but not being hampered by it, but acknowledging like stylistically be our guest there are things that needs to have, right? It needs to have some silverware because it says there's silverware. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nine minutes long. So you have to build and build and build and build and build. And it needs to be big and giant at the end. And so I learned how to build a number that, that's that way. You know, with, with Beauty and the Beast in terms of the film, it being animated is super helpful because there's not a lot you can copy because <laughs> it's animated. So... Well, that's really helpful. But there was also something about, you know, it was it was the first live thing I made coming out of lockdown. Mm. It was the first live thing I think almost everybody in that room had made. There was a definite mindfulness towards casting a primarily global majority company. So there were a lot of bodies in the room that didn't necessarily look like bodies that had had the opportunity to tell that story in that way before. And we were telling a story, you know, the, the sort of guiding theme for Jay and for all of us was the transformational power of love in a time where many of us had been trapped in our own versions of our own castles and in the wake of the country's racial reckoning post George Floyd, that there was a lot, there was a lot to explore inside the play and inside the movement that had to be new because as a as human beings as Americans as Pacific Northwesterners as artists 
we were all in a place that we'd never been in before. So to copy anything feels like not honoring the moment and the, and the power that we have as artists. You told me a story when we were at, at the awards ceremony and just chatting about the dance break in Gaston when they're in the tavern. Yes. And, and how you morph that into something that's more representative and more modern and, and kind of reflected the diversity of the cast and, and things like that. Could you tell that story so that you know our listeners can hear that? Because I thought that was a, a great thing you did. It was a wonderful, really unique spin on that dance break that you did. Thanks. So, you know, again, we had a global majority company and we had a black Gaston. I had a black Gaston and I had a white LeFou. And as I was thinking about Gaston and the, the song, right, that this whole, this whole number, this whole town as led by LeFou is trying to get, you know, help Gaston get his groove back, right? He's, he's, he's having a bad day. He's been rejected by the girl. And at this point, if we can imagine a world where we've never seen Beauty and the Beast, we don't know he's a bad guy. We probably think he's dumb <laughs> or like needs to work on his game, you know, but we certainly don't think he's a villain. He hasn't done anything villainous at this point. So we have this, you know, this sort of, again, it's a number that is long. It needs to build. It starts with LeFou and then you add his cronies and then the whole bar is like singing along and trying to help him feel better about himself. himself. John Scott, who played LeFou, is an artist that I've worked with for 20 years, and he is an extraordinary tap dancer. So that was one of the things that I thought about that I had at my at my disposal in how to create this number was I have, okay, I have this clown, this dancing best friend clown who, who also is an extraordinary tap dancer, right? Which means he's percussive. And then I thought about the, you know, the beautiful, incredible, wonderful history of step dance that really started in black colleges in America and black fraternities and black sororities. And I thought, well, <laughs> we have an opportunity to do something with a black Gaston and a global majority company that you could never do if you didn't have a black Gaston. And so what if what is building in the number is building in the number builds to LeFou doing something percussive and then Gaston being like, no, 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 no. Let me actually show you how it's done. <laughs> so I had this idea early on and I pitched it and, you know, you can't change a note of a Disney orchestration. You just, you can't change anything. And I said, okay, well, what if I, what if I do this without changing a note. And so I just had Gaston stop the orchestra. <laughs> uh, so we just inserted this percussion call and response section inside the middle of it without, and then at the end he brought the orchestra back in and we're off to the races and it was, you know, huge and successful. The artist who played Babette, her name is B. Russell, and she had done, she had been in I don't recall which sorority she was in, but she was in a black sorority in college and had been on step teams. And so she was essentially the choreographer, associate choreographer for that particular number and created that piece and helped us rehearse it and really get the authenticity of that piece inside the overall number of Gaston. I must have been wonderful to have her as a resource. Yes. In that way. It Absolutely. is. 
have have you have you run across uh, challenges like that or situations in in other shows where you've you've brought in assistant choreographers who have a specific talent? Uh, maybe it's in like you said in, in in a type of dance from somewhere else in the world that you're not quite familiar with yourself. Is that a, is that a normal thing for a, a lead choreographer to do? I have been blessed enough to be able to do it often, and I would love to be able to do it more often. A couple that come to mind: uh, several years ago, I did a production of Man of La Mancha in Arizona. And we reorchestrated the entire score to be actor musician driven and all flamenco based. We set it in Spain in the 1960s and it was all flamenco. So we had a flamenco drummer and guitarist and flamenco dancers. And, you know, many of them were from like Cuba or Spain or barely spoke English or spoke English as a second language and, and developing and creating, you know, their, their absolute sort of pure understanding of flamenco and like learning how to take that and and marry it with understanding of musical theater and musical theater dance and how to drive something forward was uh, the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think maybe the most artistically satisfying thing I've ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it uh, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. You know, I think the more that we can, one of the, one of the beautiful things about musical theater is that it already is taking so many different kinds of elements and putting them together in one thing. And I think the more that we can cross pollinate cultures, um, the genre can only continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger. You mentioned uh, working in Arizona. Your your work has, has, again, predominantly been in the Seattle area, but also Washington, D.C., all over the world, your career has taken you literally all over the world to places yeah. one wouldn't necessarily expect from musical theater. What have you found? I mean, we love Seattle. We do a lot with local theaters uh, on this side of the water and, and on the Seattle side. What is it that you found differentiates the Seattle area from maybe some of these other markets? What's special about Seattle? Hmm. Aside well, from the fact that it rains all the time and everybody wants to be in the theater. Yes. <laughs> it. It has been an incredible place for me to be able to be a multi-hyphenate artist, to not get pigeonholed into, oh, you you dance in the ensemble and that's all you do. Hmm. You know, I've had the opportunity to sort of walk along the musical theater ladder and to, you know, push myself over and do multiple plays and perform in multiple plays and to work in big houses and small houses and operas and circuses and so i think i think it is a community if if you are vigilant <laughs> in your pursuit of trying to cross over in in different genres that it will that it will allow you to do that i think it can be hard to break into things here but um but if you have a little bit of staying power that can serve you well well it seems like such a great test test market for lack of a better term so many broadway bound shows debut here uh we just yep. saw uh you know uh, national Lamp- national lampoon's broadway vacation which we assume will end up on broadway uh you know things like mrs doubtfire one of the last shows i saw before um somehow mrs doubtfire always comes up in in my conversations i just love that <laughs> show so much uh ended up on broadway and then of course quarantine hit but um and then you, you get such a wide variety. You you do get things like Beauty and the Beast and those big popular things. And then and then you have you know these smaller theaters that are are bringing a lot of more independent stuff. And it's just it's a great place to be involved, uh, whether on the on the creative side or 
just generally as a consumer and, and kind of commentator like like Greg and I. I agree. You know, one of the things that was so great about coming to your award ceremony was to see just how exhilarating and vibrant everything on that side of the water is. I mean, I just didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And I, I hope that there are more cross collaborations in some, in some way, because I, I think the community in community theater, I think that word has gotten a really bad rap over the last, I don't even know how many, many decades. And I think, I just think it's the, I think if we, if we are not making theater for our communities, I don't know why we're doing it. Yeah, it's just a difference in the size of the community, really. Yep. Yeah, and there's so many theaters on this side of, of the water. It's uh, It really is amazing. Having come from the East Coast, I grew up around Philadelphia, and there were a few, you know, here and there. Uh, once you get out of the city, there weren't there weren't so much, so, so many. But here, between where we are in Port Orchard and through Bainbridge Island, there's, there's at least, I'm going to say up up to 10, 8 to 10 little theater companies that are just all wonderful, you know, they're doing a variety of things from these bigger numbers to little independent things to original productions. <clears throat> We've seen a couple of uh, original plays this year that were really, really good. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. But your work has taken you from not just from the community theater and the theaters, but also to television as well. Yes. So... We noticed that you were the choreography choreographer on the Netflix hit series 13 Reasons Why for nine episodes. So tell us yes. about that experience. How did you get involved with that? And then how does choreography for television or another media such as that differ from the stage? Sure. Well, Brian Yorkie, who is a won the Tony and Pulitzer Prize for Next to Normal, I don't know if you know that he started in Seattle. He he moved here and he moved to Issaquah when he was in high school and finished high school and did the kids stage program for Village Theater in Issaquah, Washington, and was the associate artistic director at Village Theater for a while back in the early 2000s and has been a, a friend and collaborator of mine for, gosh, over 20 years now. And he was the showrunner for 13 Reasons Why. So you know, the first season he was like, there's this big high school dance. Can you come do it? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> twist I, my arm, right? Twist my arm. <laughs> um, and I, you know, it was a situation. I have been in a lot of situations in my life, particularly as a choreographer, where there's an aspect of the job that I know how to do. But there are things about the container that are unfamiliar to me. So in addition to saying like, yes, I know how to make up dance steps and I'm super comfortable wrangling 300 teenagers at a time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a lot about, I hadn't been on a set before. I hadn't, you know, and I hadn't been on a large budget before, but I, I'm also really comfortable saying what I don't know how to do. So I immediately developed a relationship with the first AD on the project and the production manager on the project and didn't try to pretend I knew what I didn't know and let them know that I was gonna really prioritize safety and you know not go over time. So that meant they wouldn't go over budget. And it was exhilarating. It was really, really fun. There's a lot of the sort of hurry up and wait thing that feels a little slightly familiar to tech, but not, but you know, in a, on a grander scale than that for sure. <laughs> but um, you know, being able to really control what people look at 
with the frame of the camera as opposed to, well, here's this whole stage and hopefully the lighting designer will have the capacity to light the number in the way I had it be in my mind, right? This is like, oh, it's the frame and you're only looking at the frame, either something in close up or the depth of the frame. So playing with that was really, it was really fun. And then I ended up going back every season Three out of the four seasons had big, giant high school dances in them, and I did all of those. And then there was, a, I think it was maybe season two, there was um, a scene in a punk club. There was a mosh pit in a punk club that I got to make. And then at the end of season three, there was a really pivotal moment where two characters had a fight, a very physical fight, and they entered that fight already with some pretty big physical injuries as characters. And they had me come down and be a movement coach for that piece to shape the fight and make sure that all of the things we knew were wrong with their bodies, that the actors kept them wrong with their bodies as they na navigated this this big fight. So yeah, so I was able to do a, a wide variety of, of coachings and then they brought me down one time. Um, they were doing a series of shooting big big football sequences. And so that one had a like, like a thousand extras at the football stadium. And they brought me down to just like be a hype person to keep the crowd amped up <laughs> over the length of the 12 hour day. And back to your athletic uh, experience, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. We could spend literally a, an entire show on any one of these aspects of your career, but <laughs> And we will, we will. We want to get you back on to talk uh, intimacy coordination uh, okay. for sh for sure. But uh, before we wrap, one question I have for you is: um, I continue, I continually hear throughout our conversation the people that you know and that you've met, and you've ended up working with again, or folks that you have a reputation with. Mm. And that's something Greg and I have, you know, beca it became very, very, um, it just became very obvious quickly. Not only as actors. Uh, in a smaller community, but also now working with people all over the world that relationships are the most important thing and building those relationships and that it comes back to you, good and bad, uh, based on how you treat people. What advice do you have for folks getting into the business, whether it's theater, television, film, about building those relationships and making sure that they last in a positive way? I mean, one is you just you just never know when you're going to see anyone in the room again and how the power positions will shift over time, right? Yeah, and, that, and that's something we've heard before is, you know, the, the guy that's parking my car might end up being a director and he's gonna call me sometime because I treated him with respect. Yeah, and part of that I, I, would, I would say really is about doing some deep work so you understand your own values and your own integrity and how you wanna move through the world so that you don't compromise yourself along the way. It's not just like be nice to everyone because they might be able to help you later because not everyone's gonna be nice to you and you shouldn't also let people walk all over you because you think they might hire you later, right? Absolutely. So spending some time understanding where your personal and professional boundaries are as you move through this space and understanding that you don't have to sacrifice them to move ahead. It feels like you might need to in the moment. Hmm, very well said. Thank you. So before we wrap up, 
Catherine, what is next for you? You said you've got a bunch of things that you're working on now and then moving into 2023. What is next for you and how can people keep up with what's going on in the world of Catherine Van Meter? Yeah, well, I'm I'm teaching an acting class at Cornish College of the Arts currently, which is really fun. I, um, I'm teaching the first year acting and original work students and improvising and devising and collaborating class, which is really exciting. And I am directing a production of Cabaret for them this fall, which I'm doing in a smaller, smaller theater. I'm doing sort of an immersive version in a small theater and I'm really excited about it. And then next year I'm choreographing Sense and Sensibility, the Kate Hamill Sense and Sensibility for Village Theater, and then a 12th night for Seattle Shakes, and then Hello Dolly back out at Village Theater are the sort of three big, big pieces for next year. The how do people follow me? That's a, that's a great, that's great. <laughs> I, you know, if anyone would like to design my website, I would love to have a conversation with you. <laughs> Um, my, my Instagram handle is it's going very well, but I am not awesome about posting things on there. I don't have a great answer to that question. You're, you're a busy, you're busy, busy person. <laughs> well, we'll do, we'll do our best. We'll do our best to get the okay. word out about the stuff that you're working on, Thank especially, you. especially village theaters is, uh, theater, we've talked about this before, wanting to get a little more involved with absolutely knowing what's going on with them and promoting them and, and getting them on for a, you know, one of our get to know a theater segments in the future. Yes. And I, I, you know, that, again, that team out there, they're, they have a new artistic director and a new managing director. And so I think, I think that would just be a really great conversation for the four of you to have for sure. Well, and I think it sounds like just start checking your programs, people look for a choreographer. If you see an amazing show, might be a pretty good chance she's listed. <laughs> well, thank you. There are there are many many beautiful, wonderful, talented choreographers in in Seattle. So it is a it is a prolific place. But you know, I will say I think that choreography is really is not understood well. I think because it is lumped with director and music director, people think that that my job is like those jobs. But my job is actually like playwright or composer. Mm-hmm. Choreographers generate all of their own steps. There's no book. We don't we don't go find them somewhere and just teach them. I mean, unless you're doing a Jerome Robbins show, and then there's a, then there's a Bible, and it's called Bible, <laughs> and that's a different story. <laughs> but you know, when you when you see when you see something that is choreographed in a musical, every single one of those steps came out of the mind of the choreographer <laughs> for that particular production. And that, you know, it's, um, it is a beautiful, generative, creative, there is something where there was nothing before art form. And I think that that is overlooked often when people think about what a choreographer actually does. Well, not on our watch. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. <laughs> well, Catherine, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, the next thing that you're working on and, and, and involved in and hopefully uh, maybe get you over to this side and, and hang out again and, and take you to one of the shows over here. And, and uh, again, thank, thank you so much for making the time. You are most welcome. And that, that would be great. I would love to come back over to that side for sure. Awesome. Well, th- thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you get a little more involved with absolutely knowing what's going on with them and promoting them and, and getting them on for a, you know, one of our catch to know a theater segments in the future 
Yes, and I, I, you know, that again, that team out there, they're they have a new artistic director and a new managing director, and so I think I think that would just be a really great conversation for the four of you to have for sure. Well, and I think it sounds like just start checking your programs, people. Look for a choreographer. If you see an amazing show, might be a pretty good chance she's listed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. There are there are many many beautiful, wonderful, talented choreographers in in Seattle, so. It is a it is a prolific place, but you know I will say I think that choreography is really is not understood well. I think because it is lumped with director and music director, people think that that my job is like those jobs, but my job is actually like playwright or composer. Mm -hmm. Choreographers generate all of their own steps. There's no book. We don't we don't go find them somewhere and just teach them. I mean, unless you're doing a Jerome Robbins show and then there's a then there's a Bible and it's called a Bible and that's a different story. <laughs> but you know, when you when you see when you see something that is choreographed in a musical, every single one of those steps came out of the mind of the choreographer for that particular production. And that, you know, it's um it is a beautiful, generative, creative there is something where there was nothing before art form. And I think that that is overlooked often when people think about what a choreographer actually does. Well, not on our watch. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. <laughs> well, Catherine, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, the next thing that you're working on and, and, and involved in and hopefully uh, maybe get you over to this side and and hang out again and, and take you to one of the shows over here. And, and uh, again, thank, thank you so much for making the time. You are most welcome. And that, that would be great. I would love to come back over to that side for sure. Awesome. Well, th thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again to our guest, Catherine Van Meter. Keep up with her on Instagram, linked in the show notes, and follow our coverage of Seattle Theater for news on her upcoming projects. And if you enjoyed episode 66, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. You can find all the latest at HeilmanandHaver.com, along with all our past episodes, stage reviews, and popular segments like Get to Know a Theater and In the Mix, and behind-the-scene artist interviews. As always, thank you for supporting your local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.